So I'm, I'm feeling so, um, so excited, not like, I'm not disappointed, I'm so excited around every election cycle, the opportunity to, for, for followers of Jesus to really grasp what it means to be citizens of the kingdom first before we put our hope in political systems and parties and promises. Um, and I'm just so excited about, like, you know, the church reclaiming that space. So what I've done today is a bit naughty. Um, we are going to actually look at a parable, um, but what Jesus does all the time is he talks, and this is a parable about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which is actually a deeply political term. So I'm going to stay true to the series that we're in, but also I'm going to scratch the personal itch that I've kind of got right now to talk around uh, around how Christians engage in that space. And it's, so it's a bit of a teaser. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to preach my messages that I've got in a couple of weeks, though I've Pray for me, church, that the temptation doesn't overcome me to just go there anyway. But um, So if you've got your Bibles, let's uh, open them to Matthew chapter 13. Jesus spoke in lots of parables, um, partly, uh, we explored this on the very first uh, sermon on the series, to weed out the crowd from those committed to really understanding what he was about. And so he preached uh, parables that were meant to not be clearly understood at the time, but required you to really sit with them and ruminate on them. And, uh, and so that's kind of why he spoke in parables, these lovely little stories. And so these are quite short, but he often tells sometimes longer parables. We've looked at the parable of the lost younger son and older son a couple of weeks ago, um, which was a bit of a longer story. But this is quite short and uh, a bit beautiful. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great values, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. So what I want to talk about here, Jesus, majority of Jesus' teaching was around this whole concept of the kingdom of God, or in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven. And they're absolutely interchangeable. The only reason that Matthew wrote kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of God, is that Matthew's gospel was written to a Jewish audience, and a Jewish audience wouldn't write the word God. It was just so holy that they, so he is interchangeable here. And which is important that we understand because we're dealing in the church with a massive, poor understanding of what it looks like to follow Jesus because we've, we've just kind of got so caught up in the idea that Jesus died for us sins so that we can go to heaven that we've missed the fact that we're actually Jesus died so that we'd be free to be people that follow him to continue the work of building his kingdom. That's why Jesus spent the whole of the gospels talking about the kingdom uh, because he wanted us to capture something of that. And there's something uh, so incredibly precious and stunning and beautiful when you catch a, a vision of what the kingdom of God is like, this parable is saying, that it's like everything else in comparison in your life is like nothing, is like nothing compared to, to getting that, uh, living in that space of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's just the most precious thing that you've got. We are, as I've mentioned before, in political season. Uh, and you know what politicians are going to be doing and have done is they're going to be promising a better world, a better New Zealand. Here's what we're going to do to make New Zealand, you can't say great again. This is just, oh Lord, I can't say that. There's got too much 
cultural baggage on it these days. We're going to make New Zealand really rock and, you know, and here's what we're going to do. And um, this is a COVID election. So it's like what party's going to give the, you know, there's promises around here's what we're going to do to sort the borders out and all this sort of stuff. There's all these promises that, uh, that people that want to be elected uh, will give us. And if you've been around the block for a while, you've heard these promises election cycle after election cycle, right? And here's my main point that I want to make, and, and I, want, I want us as a church to really get this, that when you do not have a vision for the kingdom, the only thing left is a vision politically, as a legislative vision or a political vision, which is why I, I want to speak to the, what the kingdom of God is all about over the next month or so to, to really reignite our imaginations about what we're called to be a part of which takes all the pressure of us having to like make the politicians do it and actually puts the onus back on us as followers of Jesus to, to boldly advance the kingdom of God. So what did Jesus, um, so there's been all these promises the politicians have given us, but the greatest promise humanity has ever heard from, heard about is, is from God through the prophets in the Old Testament. This was the greatest promise that was ever made to humanity. And the greatest of all of those is a prophet called Isaiah. And if you, this all ties into what, the, what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, okay? So bear with me, because it all ties up with the Old Testament and the promises there. So a few hundred years before Jesus came, uh, Isaiah started pro- prophesying, here's what's going to happen. Here's what God's going to do. And God himself will come into human history, Isaiah said. He will come in such glory that the sun will be embarrassed to compete with him. How cool is that? A descendant of David will come a Messiah. Um, this isn't in this passage, by the way. We're going to get there in a second. Uh, on, I'm just recapping until we hit this point. On him will be the presence of God. God will pour out his Holy Spirit like rivers in the desert. He will do incredible things when God comes. He will wipe away the sins of the people. There'll be no more captivity. There's these pictures in Isaiah of people in dungeons and captivity and their chains start falling off and they start running free. That's what God's going to do. Peace will come to humanity, not just for one generation, but through, but forever through this Messiah. And the final enemy of humanity, death, will be vanquished. Isaiah has this graphic picture of a graveyard and suddenly like a hand pops out of the earth. It's so epic. Uh, And then a leg and then a head. It's total movie level stuff. And then thousands of people stand up out of the dust, risen again. And because of this, there'll be a lot of joy. There'll be new songs coming together. There'll be a great banquet where God will host and all the nations of the earth will be his guest. And he will serve the best wine and the best food. Hallelujah. And because of this, there'll be a humanity not made up just of Jewish people. This is all the promises of Isaiah. There'll be a new humanity not made up just of Jewish people, but people from every nation. And there'll be a new capital city, a new Jerusalem, a new temple where God will dwell, not in, uh, in, in a place made of stone, but in human hearts. The scattering of God's people through suffering and pain will be reversed. This is just a snippet of what God uh, is promising through Isaiah. But have a look here in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. Um, never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days and the old man who uh, lives out just lives out his, uh, who does not live out his years. There will be health and safety for the vulnerable. Verse 21, they will build houses and dwelling them and plant vineyards. There'll be houses and food. Verse 23, uh, where are we? 
They will not labour in vain. They will not be children doomed to misfortune. So there'll be prosperity. There'll be security. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. There will be an absence of violence. So these are all the promises. And to inaugurate this, God will judge everything that is evil and bring it down. Every oppressor, everything that has destroyed the vulnerable, God will rule and reign and every oppressor and evil dictator will be pulled down. This gigantic promise uh, to humanity from God. It's just monstrous. Jesus arrives and he declares this new world has begun. And when he begins his ministry, he goes to Luke chapter four. We have his inaugural address. And Jesus knew the book of Isaiah inside and out. And he knew exactly where he wanted to go because he knew this book. He knew all these promises. And in Luke four, he says, this, this is beginning. The year of the Lord's favour has begun. It's beginning, it's happening now in your midst. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. These things you've been waiting for, longing for, it starts today. And, uh, and so, you know, when politicians make big promises, they raise our expectations, you know, and the question is, will they deliver? Good question. You know, there's been a certain politician in the States that promised a whole bunch of things, and, you know, we've got people over there have to decide whether they delivered or not. You know, we've got, the, we've got some stuff going on here in New Zealand, and we've, there's going to be a lot of promises. We've got to, and the question is, did Jesus deliver? Did Jesus deliver this great promise? And the, the answer is yes, he demonstrated what he promised. He was an incredible healer. Thousands of people came to him with all of their diseases and he healed them from their diseases, from demonic oppression, even from death. What Isaiah said started happening. There was like Jesus loved a party. There were banquets of food. There was just like anywhere there's food, you'll notice Jesus seems to be hovering around. Wedding banquets. The very first miracle that Jesus does is at a wedding banquet. This is a fulfillment of the prophetic promises in Isaiah. He's an incredible welcomer of people. People that were socially unacceptable from prostitutes to wealthy people who ripped off the tax system and stolen from the poor. He would invite them around. This should make both the left and the right uncomfortable, by the way. Jesus hangs out with the Samaritan and with the broken and the hurting, and then he goes and hangs out with the tax collector. And both are welcome, right? Sorry, I'm trying not to go there. Um, he would invite them round to meals and, and, and they would be his honoured guest. And John the Baptist, who had actually said, he, like, there is one coming who's going to bring about this new world, he was having some second thoughts before he died in prison. He was about to have his head chopped off. And so it's a place maybe where you start doubting a few things. And so Matthew 11, verse 2 to 6, it says, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And so John, what basically John is asking is, are you going to bring out, are you, are you the one bringing in this new world? And Jesus replies with basically, tick, 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 here's the things I'm doing, tick, tick, this new world has come in Jesus, has come in Jesus. And, uh, and what Isaiah was promising is what Jesus called the kingdom of God. 
is called, this is what he called the kingdom of God. This place, this is where the role of the Christian is not just to get saved so you go to heaven when you die. It's that you have a new identity now when you come under the lordship of Jesus who is the king of that kingdom and you say, I'm now a citizen of this new kingdom. First and foremost, that is first and foremost where my citizenship lays. Number one, in the kingdom of God. Number two, wherever I was born, which has huge importance and all the rest of it, but primarily our identity now is in sons and daughters of the king of this kingdom. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus lived in a time where you could not vote, okay? So Jesus lives under this empire, this oppressive empire. And the longing of the, of the Jewish people is that the Messiah would come and overthrow this empire, in the very same way many Christians now long to have the political party in power so that in power we have the, you know, the, the rule of some Christian or whatever, right? And Jesus didn't take that route at all. And he, in fact, he said, that's not how the kingdom advances. That's not how the king, what the kingdom is about. The kingdom of God um, uh, is, is not, uh, like he talked about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed, you plant that mustard seed, and then it's like, and a mustard seed is like a noxious plant. Like it's this tiny little seed, but then it goes viral. Or the kingdom of God is like yeast. You put a little bit in the bread, just this tiny little bit of yeast, and it impacts the whole thing. And so Jesus' approach to how to serve society and how to undermine the evil empire and how to bring hope and healing wasn't to come in power. It was to come like a mustard seed and then for that kingdom to expand and advance. And that's exactly what happened in the early church. The early church grasped this, and so they started treating people the way that Jesus invited people to, uh, Jesus treated people. So those that were marginalized and had no value had value in the ecclesia. Now, the ecclesia is the Greek word for church. Where did they get that word from? They got it from a Greek concept where the citizens of a town would get together to discuss town business. That was called an ecclesia. And so the early church were like, whoa, we are now part of the citizenship of the kingdom of, of God. And so let's get together and discuss the, ta- the business of the kingdom of God. How do we live out the kingdom of God? And so children who would just be thrown away were cared for by the early church. Uh, let me, let me um, find some stuff here. Um, in the first centuries of Christianity, the poor were fed, clothed, and they sheltered people at personal sacrifice. And the pagans said about the Christians, see how they love each other. Women were treated with dignity and value and were given leadership in a, in a patriarchal society. Children, the poor, they were, were cared for. There was no more longer Jews and Greeks and Gentiles. And it was like, no, we are one in Christ Jesus. It was this radical countercultural community that went and subverted underneath the power of this empire and started changing society from the bottom up rather than the top down. That's what the kingdom of God uh, is all about. And so Jesus said to uh, us, he says, I'm giving you, church, the keys of the kingdom. How cool is that? Like we have this ability to unlock something of the kingdom of God because we as the ecclesia have been given keys to the kingdom. And so the way to change a nation is not by trying to take power. It's by getting a vision for God's kingdom that's so beautiful, that's so rich. It's like a pearl. It's like you'll give anything to see it. And what happens, folks, is this is, this is what will happen to you if you just allow Jesus to melt your heart. 
is He'll make you angry about things in, in our culture. And those aren't the things to rant and rave about on, on Facebook. That's a waste of your emotional energy. God makes you angry or bakes your heart or stirs something in you so that you'd have the keys of the kingdom and you'll go to the poor and you'll go to the marginalised and you'll go to that overlooked person at your work and you'll love them to pieces because we are the countercultural community of the kingdom. That's who we're called to be. And so this is why we don't wait for the, you know, churches that have grasped this and this is we need to restore this mentality in the church we really do like when you grasp this it's like it changes everything it's like I'm going to talk about the wisdom we need and like we're going to vote and stuff but I want our focus to be on how can we extend the kingdom of God here in the bay and like it may not feel like we're many people or that you know and it's not like we have to go and house everyone you know and we just do our little bit and it's like a mustard seed we do our little bit and it's like yeast and something beautiful starts to happen when we start to live selflessly and and, and to live to bless like we sung in that song so every policy that drives you up the wall there's, there's normally a kingdom vision that will mean you can be part of the solution subversively in this nation. There's certain policies economically and budget, whatever. They're, they're, but certainly in terms of every social policy, the church has the answer, has the keys to the kingdom if we would just take it and start living it, right? Now, um, and I don't say this to put the guilt trips on us or anything, or just, you know, come on church, let's work a bit harder. No, let's allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and just flow in the thing, because the kingdom's advancing. The kingdom's advancing from, a, from 12 little Muppets, you know, that he had following him, to billions of people around the world today, where I can travel to Cambodia, Philippines, South America, any, any continent on the world, and have brothers and sisters that are part of that same kingdom. Don't tell me the kingdom's not powerful. It's, but in the West, we've got to reclaim this thing of like, we are the ecclesia. We're, the, we're, the, we're citizens of the kingdom. And let's recapture a vision about what a bunch of normal people in a little church that meets in the, at the Napier Boys High School Hall can do to bless this region. And we, and like, it's just ordinary people that are like, I want to have a vision. But here's the thing. Oh, okay, no, let me get there. I just want to mention this as well, that the beauty about the economy of the kingdom is that often it's the very things that have been the, the most broken parts of your life that God uses to advance his kingdom. That's the economy. of. So for any addiction that you may, here's the process that happens. You've got some sort of addiction. Let's talk about Burger King, right? Nice. And, so, you know, your little addiction to number three, you know, the Dad, the barbecue bacon um, cheeseburger there, <laughs> genetic thing I inherit. The, the Lord blessed me for generations probably through this love of number three. And so like we've got number three there. And say that, you know, you realise it's a bit of a problem because it's in control of you rather than you in control of it. That's addiction. Uh, and so then what God first does is He restores you. Some of you are in the process of restoration, deep healing of those broken choices that you've made. It doesn't, you know, happen overnight. But it, will, but it will happen, as Rachel Hunter pro proclaimed, and I've said many, many times, we work, that we, we keep plodding along with Jesus faithfully, 
days as we walk by faith, not by sight, in spite of our emotions and senses, we still choose the Jesus way. We hop off the wagon, we get back on the wagon, we boldly approach the throne of grace, we get prayer, we go to counselling, we confess our sins, we work through what led us to, God will restore, restore. He loves restoring. This is the promise of the kingdom. But here's the beauty about the economy of the kingdom. He doesn't just restore, He redeems. He redeems. And so there are people here that are in that restoring work right now, but the vision isn't just that you'll be whole, it's that you'll lead other people into that same wholeness. He will redeem your brokenness so that you can lead people out of that slavery into that new promised land. That's what the, the, it's the God's economy. And so it's just often these little, again, these little things that we start doing, but it's like, no, we're going to see people not just restored, but redeemed. But, but the interesting thing in this passage, uh, if we can go back to that passage, is that you'll notice that when you get a, a, a vision for this kingdom, uh, you know, like, and it's like this pearl or uh, what's the other, the treasure, first, first slide, sorry, um, um, Grant. Um, you'll notice they just sell everything. So it's like, it doesn't matter what it costs, there's a sense of that vision so permeates you, but it will cost you. There's a sense where you've got to die. <laughs> you've got to die to yourself. This is the, again, I've talked about it several times, the Easter narrative, right? The Easter narrative. It's like, I'm just going to die to what I want to do with my life because I've found something more precious than all the rubbish the world sees is worth pursuing. And I'm going to give my, my life to the kingdom. Um, you know, Charlotte, uh, who watched us later, but I just, I'm in awe of her choices in the last couple of years. You know, to give up a career path that was laid out for her and that she was, and then she caught a glimpse of the kingdom of God and the calling of the kingdom of God. And she's given up that career to serve this church and to help us with Manawa Order as we work on plans for Madai Nui and for blessing the city, right? She's just like, there's something in her that's caught that vision. And she's like, I just, now, not everyone is going to have, you know, Charlotte's story, but for every single one of us, there's a sense of like, this is worth the sacrifice. And the predominant theme in this passage is not the focus on the sacrifice, it's the focus on the joy. It's not motivated like, oh, I've got to do it. It's like the sacrifice is a joy because we've, we've grasped the vision for something so beautiful, we just can't, we can't let go. It's like that, it ruins you. It ruins you. And my prayer, uh, sorry church, but my prayer is that God ruins us. Uh, my prayer is that God gives us a fresh vision for the kingdom in the bay. And I'm just going to preach this a lot over the next little while. Uh, a, a kingdom, and, and not again, to judge the city, but to serve the city. Not to say, oh, I wish you would do it. It's to love the city, to come underneath the city and to roll up our sleeves and love it and serve it. You know, um, I, I would love the reputation of the church to be good amongst the city councillors and our mayor. Is it the case right now? It's not. I know, I've talked to them. It's just not. You know, the tragedy is that one of my friend's bosses was in a meeting with, um, with a whole bunch of NGOs, the Minister of Health and our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. And the reputation of the church at the moment amongst that scene is they are the spreaders of misinformation. I'm like, we've got to, come on, church. This isn't who we are. We are the people who follow Jesus, the one who comes under and blesses and serves and loves. Let's restore a kingdom vision to the church and give our lives away to serve the least, the last, and the lost in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God. Uh, in World War II, um, there was just obviously so much going on, unspeakable horrors in the concentration camps. 
And, um, and just a super intense environment, obviously, with the SS killing anyone they suspected of trying to revolt. And yet, in the midst of all of this in World War II, there was a group called the Resistance. And they published these clandestine newspapers, assisted in the escaping of Jews and allied airmen, and committed acts of sabotage against the German forces. And the will and ability to fight in this way was in large measure kept alive by hope the rumoured coming Allied invasion. On the surface, German occupied Europe, uh, and it all appeared to be horrifically helpless and hopeless. But hidden among the terrorised were these people who dared to resist because they joined with the powerful Allied forces that promised liberation. The power that Jesus brought with his announcement of the kingdom of heaven did not have the perception of power that many people expected. Jesus could indeed perform powerful miracles, but they were short-lived and selective. Rome still dominated the land. There were still ruthless leaders around that induced fear. People still died of hunger and disease. That were just a daily experience. But Jesus' declaration of the kingdom of heaven is so powerful in the spiritual transformative working that it may be small in beginning, but will ultimately transform a life. And these stories uh, and it reminds us that whatever we do, we do not labour in vain because one day He will return and bring the work to completion. So we do not labour in vain. There is a force coming, hallelujah, when He returns. But again, church, we don't twiddle our fingers waiting for it. We roll up our sleeves and say, Lord, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And one day You'll bring that work to completion. But the church has always been called to follow Jesus into those places and see his kingdom advance. Like that's the role of the Christian right now until one day we see him. And so uh, this kingdom's like treasure. The nature of the kingdom is like treasure. It's precious, it's valuable, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's something other than the everyday, it's something people long for. You know, um, the interesting thing about um, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is that it's just filled with enormous wisdom because Solomon, who had it all, wound up in a depressive state penning this book of Ecclesiastes. You know, the gold, the gills, the glory, he had all three in spades, man. Like he had all the things that society says will make you happy. He had, he had like gills, concubines, porcupines, concubines, all sorts of, <laughs> you know, it was like pine cones and all sorts. He had like, he had, he had so many ladies to pick from, it was ridiculous, you know. Did it make him happy? Of course it didn't. Hashtag complicated, of course. You know, the idiot did do that stuff. It's a reason monogamy is Jesus' way. But anyway, uh, you know, he had, he had the glory. Like he was the king. He was the top dog. He had uh, gold. He had more gold. He was, he was Bill Gates on steroids. He had so much money. He was a songwriter. He was famous for his wisdom. With all of that, the, the, the message of Ecclesiastes is it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. Bong, bong. This is the drum he beats all the way through that book. It's all meaningless. There's something that's more precious than all of those things, and it's the kingdom of God. And one of the things that we're constantly battling with, myself included, is believing deep down that this is true. Because I'm going to walk out of here today and I'm going to be bombed with 5,000 messages on average. You will see a day from advertisements that say, no, it's not. Pursue me. Pursue. Like that affects us. But this is where, Lord, would you reveal, give us a fresh revelation of your kingdom and our part to play in it, that we could live a rich and fruitful life that we look back on and say, that was well spent. I discovered the treasure.
I discover the treasure. The last uh, point I want to make before we just finish in prayer, and what I thought would be lovely to do today as we finish is actually to sing that, that blessing song, but let's just sing it over the region. Just to sing it over the region. But um, there's two things here. Uh, the, the, the last, last, last thought. The interesting thing here that Jesus is saying is that for some people this kingdom is stumbled upon, and for some people it's searched and discovered. Okay, so there's two contrasting little moments here. And that's the case both with in meeting Jesus and with finding your place within the, king, within the ecclesia, the kingdom of God. So for some people, it's like Jesus found you. It's like, whoa, you know, road to Damascus. It's like you're just, you know, Luke was sharing his testimony last night, which we won't go into any more details for the sake of your mum who's present and doesn't want to hear that again. But, um, but it's like, you know, and Jesus just finds this. It's just like, boom, revelation. And he's never been the same again. He shares testimony in front of his workmates and stuff last night. It's just awesome. Some people, it's like that. For other people, it's like search and, and, and trying to find and discover. And it's and sometimes more academic. Or, and, there's this, and it's wrestle. And then you come to this place as, I believe he is who he says he is. And it's exactly the same with the kingdom of God. Some of you, you just know what your thing, like even as I'm preaching, you know what your thing is. You know what burns in your heart. It's like, and this is this little talk corridor. I was just putting a little bit of gas on the, on the flames of your heart, where you're like, yes, this is what I want to give my life to. From a, for, I've just, I know in my knower that I'm meant to go and help young women, or I'm meant to go and, and serve those dads or whatever, or I'm going to go and help with food or housing, whatever it may be, there'll be something. Some of you just know and you know it, and others of you are sitting here just going, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what my plan, I want my heart to burn like that. I want to have a glimpse of something so precious I'd sell everything to pursue the kingdom of God. And some, so you have to search and you have to seek and you have to wrestle and you have to talk and you have to pray and you have to, and, and then God will reveal it. He does. He loves answering this prayer, but the Jesus pointing out it's, it's both. And so if you're in whatever category you're in, be at peace. But let's just ask that God will give us a greater uh, a vision for the kingdom. We were motivated by joy, not obligation. We're motivated by joy, not obligation, uh, to, to give ourselves to the, to the beautiful thing of his kingdom. I'm going to unpack a whole lot more of this over the coming month. Uh, and and, and I, I'll just finish with this. Every single one of us has a part to play. And, and don't worry if it's little. Again, mustard seed, yeast. It doesn't matter if it's little acts of love that you look after that person at work that other people don't like hanging out with. Whatever, all of that is this thing of the kingdom advancing, going to those places. Don't worry if it's little. Don't worry. Every single person, though, the beauty about following Jesus is not just about a Sunday. It's about every day. Saying, Lord, use me to just see your kingdom advance, to tell people that there is a king who is Lord of all and sharing that great news of the gospel, which isn't just that he died for our sins, it's that he's came to give us life. He came to lead us, to give us purpose. Um, And so there's an individual. There's also, I believe, a corporate responsibility for every church. There's a corporate, there's a gathered thing as the ecclesia. And we've got some ideas. We've got a few little ideas, and, um, and if you're like not sure what to do, jump on board with Tahahi. That's a great start. Let's just go, that's the kingdom of God going, and we're not there just, we're here to serve and to make friends and to love and to careful. But we've got a few other ideas that we're going to put on your radar in, the, in a little while. And you know, oh, don't preach the message to them. But you know, but you know, I will say this. But, but so, and some of you, I'm, I'm going to challenge you, some of you, it's like, how about you drop a day a week of work to give yourselves to this stuff? Seriously. 
Like, I know this shouldn't be an out there thought. Steve and June have given up their lives to help this thing. You know, we don't, none of us are doing this for the money. <laughs> We're doing it because there's a treasure and because we want to bless this region. And, and um, my prayer before the service, and it's my prayer now, is that God will restore to the church, to us, a fresh confidence in the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom of God to advance and see lives utterly changed and transformed. Oh man, it's an exciting ride when we get part of that sort of gig. Sign me up, right? But some, some of you, I'm like, we need money to do this. Oh, Jen, can I tell the little story about, I'm going to finish with this, about what you did in Christchurch? All right, too late, I'm saying it. I will deal with the consequences after, I didn't ask permission. I'm going to mention this again, but, oh, I'm on a total rant now. Okay, let me just finish with this and then we're going to pray and sing the blessing song. But Jen Legend, she got her heart broken in Nepal when she went for a missions trip. Some of the people on that trip went back there to live. Some of them, that wasn't the calling on their lives. And so they set up a trust to try and help serve those people. And Jim was one of those people that wasn't called to live in the pool, thank you, Lord, but uh, was called to marry me. And, uh, and so then we're in Christchurch. She sets up a business where she taught dance. And 100% of the income, not the profits, the income went to support uh, that trust. And, uh, and so we lived off my pastor's salary. And her business, every dollar went to that uh, occasionally there was a few things she bought um, for the business, but it was pretty much humpsing the income. And over the number of years, $30,000 was raised by Jen's business to support what was happening in, in Compassion Nepal. That's what happens when you, and I honour her for that, and I know that she's annoyed because this, she wants this to be treasures in heaven. I just totally spoiled all of that, but it's like, but I, and know that I'm in trouble and know that that's not her heart, that she would brag about that. But, but my point is that's what happens when you get a glimpse of what the kingdom's about. And we need in this church businessmen and women to give, set up businesses that would release significant finance so that we can do the things that we're called to do as a church. Like that's what it means. Let's like, let's stop just coming to church on Sunday. Let's be an ecclesia. Let's be an ecclesia that captures a vision for the kingdom and let's give our lives away to bless, to bless, to bless this region. And see, this is the treasure. And you know, when you start doing that, it just ceases to matter on one level who's in, who's in power. It's like, vote wisely in these parties. I think, you know, that, that every, every party is going to call you to compromise as a Christian. Every single one. Trust me, I've looked at all the policies. Not a party on the ticket has, has every one of them is going to cause you to compromise. That's still fine. You've got to vote. That's all sweet as. But it's like, let's not worry about that as much as let's get passionate about the kingdom of God. Amen? All right, let's stand together. Let me just speak this, these words over you as the words of Jesus as we finish, and then let's just speak this blessing song over our region. Jesus said this to us as the ecclesia, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Listen, in the same way, let your light shine before others, what so they may see your good deeds your kingdom, good deeds, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let 
Your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your... That's how we are a light. That's how we are a light in this region is that we bless the city with good deeds and people see ordinary people doing good deeds in the Name of Jesus and they don't glorify the people, they wind up seeing something of the Father.